Join us this morning, if you would, and it's just very fortuitous. We're in this place, in the book of Numbers, at the right time. <laughs> book of Numbers, chapter 27. Numbers, chapter 27, as uh, Brother Mike mentioned, the gospel according to Jeremiah, I'm starting to call all of the books of the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament, the gospel according to Jesus Christ. Here's the gospel according to Numbers. Nobody, Moses included, Joshua included, Caleb included, nobody in the Old Testament was ever saved by keeping a law. They were saved by grace. And go to the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, and you find by faith, and God supplied in that faith. By faith, God did this. By, fa or by faith, or Abel did this, or Moses, or Caleb. And here we look into this passage of Scripture, and we find that... God did something for Moses that usually, I don't hear of it very often, that he does for us. And that is, he gives us our day of our passing. Moses is going to be informed that he is going to pass before he goes into the promised land, into the land that had been given to the congregation. And here in Numbers chapter 27, beginning with verse 12, would you read with me? And the Lord said unto Moses... Get thee up into this Mount Abram. It's one of the very interesting thing about the Lord. He never suggests. He never says, if you feel good about it, he commands. That is a command by the sovereign. That is a command by the king. And we'll find that wherever we go in scripture. You know, the gospel is a command. Repentance is a command. Faith is a command. We find that God commandeth us to repent. And then we find out, how can I do that? Well, thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God for his word. Thank God for all of his works in us. It is he that both wills, uh, works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So we depend upon that so much. The Lord said unto Moses, Get thee up into this Mount Abram and see the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. And when thou hast seen it, thou shalt also shalt be gathered unto thy people, as Aaron thy brother was gathered. For ye rebelled against my commandment in the desert of Zin, in the strife of the congregation, to sanctify me at the water before their eyes. This is the water of Meribah and Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. I want to say just a few thoughts about this, because this thought is found several times in the scripture. So would you hold your finger here and travel with me to the next book, the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 32, Deuteronomy chapter 32. We also find this record. God shares with Moses. Now it is on purpose that he prevents Moses from going into the promised land. Even in the types and the shadows and the pictures that the Lord gives us in the Old Testament of the gospel, he always is faithful to those types, shadows, and pictures. And in many ways, Moses is a type. Moses is a shadow. Moses is a picture and that of the law. And it is very important that as we read through the scriptures, we find God shares with us, even in this type, that the law, Moses, would not be the one to carry his people into a land, into the promised land. We are never saved by the law. 
And we'll look at some of the thoughts about that in just a moment. But here in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32 and verse 48, we read these words. Deuteronomy, chapter 32 and verse 48. And the Lord spake unto Moses that selfsame day, Get thee up into this mountain Abram, unto Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, that is over against Jericho, this close. It is this close to Jericho. Over against Jericho, and behold, the land of Canaan, which I gave unto the children of Israel for a possession. And die in the mount, whither thou goest up, and be gathered unto thy people, as Aaron thy brother died in, the, in Mount Hor, and was gathered unto his people. Because ye trespassed against me among the children of Israel, in the waters of Meribah, Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin, because ye sanctified me not in the midst of the children of Israel." What did God request of him the first time about a rock and some water? Strike the rock. What did God command the second time? He says, speak to the rock. And not only did Moses not speak to the rock, but he struck the rock twice this time. You know, when we get into the study of the law, we find out that the law is not very gracious to us. It can never treat us kindly. There is nothing about the law that is gentle with us. In fact, the law is like someone grabbing the hold of our throat when we owe a debt and shaking us and saying, you will pay everything you owe. There's nothing gentle, nothing kind about it. And the law, as Moses is a type, he struck that rock twice, and we find he was not sanctified. The Lord was not sanctified before the people. It is not something that shares with us the goodness, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, also in the book of Deuteronomy, two more chapters, chapter 34. Would you turn there with me, verses 5, 6, and 7 of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, verse 5. Deuteronomy chapter 34 and verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, over against Beth Peor. But no man knoweth his sepulcher unto this day. And Moses was a hundred and twenty years old when he died. And his eyes were not dim, nor his natural force abated. No, when the Lord delivered us by the gospel, by his blood, by his sacrifice, the law went kicking and screaming. It was not abated. The strength of the law was not abated. The strength of the law could still see everything about us that we were without Christ, we were without God, and we were without hope in this world. And it was like shaking our throats, you owe me, you owe me, you owe me, and you will pay the very last farthing. I'm thankful that Jesus Christ took that, and he says he did not come to just uh, satisfy, he came to fulfill the law. And that's what he did. He fulfilled the law. He kept it completely. So we find here, and it's going to be a few chapters before we find that that's the end of it here in the book of Numbers. But looking ahead, we find that the very word of God was, get up in that mountain, see what I promised the children of Israel, the congregation of Israel, and I'm going to take care of your burial there. Nobody will know about it. Why? They'd make you a god. They'd turn you, they'd want one of your bones, some finger bone for some uh, 
nefarious reason. So he's taken up and he dies and we find that there's of necessity another person takes over. Well, let's move for just a moment, keeping this thought about Moses being a type and a shadow of the law. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Galatians, chapter 3. The book of Galatians, chapter 3. The apostle Paul, once the Lord saved him, never wanted, never entreated, never asked anybody to get back under the law. He had been bound by the law. He was a uh, a declarer of the law. He judged you by not keeping the law. Uh, he was a nefarious law keeper. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and he was mean as a snake. You know, that's what we get when we become law keepers. We become mean about it because you remember what the Pharisee at the temple said? I thank thee, Lord, that I'm not like other folks especially this guy right over here. And we get that attitude when we become law keepers. I'm glad I'm not like other folks. Well, here in the book of Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, we find that the Apostle Paul, much of the ministry that the Lord gave him in writing books of the New Testament was dealing with this very subject. Is it grace or is it law? And the Apostle Paul was always saying it's grace. Law. Here in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 24, we read this. And you know, when the translators translated the King James Version, they made a grave error by adding some words in this verse of Scripture because it agreed with their theology. It's a grave error to make the Bible agree with your theology. It is very comforting that the Holy Spirit would make the Word of God our theology and not the other way around. Don't ever come up with an idea and then go to the Word of God to try to prove it. Let the Word of God create your theology. Be true to the Word. Be honest with the Word. Well, here in the book of Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24, there are three words in italics. They were honest enough to do that because the law never brings us to Christ. The law never brings us to Christ. The Holy Spirit brings us to Christ. The Word of God brings us to Christ, but the law will never do that. The law will grab our throats and shake us until we can't stand it anymore and say, you must pay. But there is not a kind word in it, and nowhere along this route does the law say, well, right over there, go over there, go over there. No. We find that John had some disciples, and he pointed his disciples to Christ because he knew where salvation was. He never said, get back under the law. He never said, honor the law that way. He said, salvation's in this, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Well, here it says, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. And this, this word, it, he was, in the original language, this was usually a slave in a household of, of uh, a, a household that had wealth, and this slave had the responsibility of taking care of the male children until they reached maturity. And he would walk along with them, and they couldn't even leave the house without him. They couldn't do a thing without him. And you know that, I know that would just chafe me. 
why don't you go somewhere? Go fishing. I'll just take care of my business. <laughs> well, this schoolmaster, more less than a schoolmaster, says, was, and then leave those three words out, unto Christ. The law was a schoolmaster unto Christ. Now, unto Christ came to us, unto Christ went to the cross, you apply it how you want. But we are bound, we're held. Who, who's the law for? Was it for just the Jews? No, the law is for everybody in God's creation, but we'll find out we cannot keep it. And it is no salvation in it by keeping it. And I fear for those who say that they love keeping the law for merit. Why do you do that? Well, I want to be better with God. Well, where's Jesus Christ in this formula? He's the one that makes us better with God. He's the one that makes us acceptable with God. It's not our keeping of anything. In fact, we cannot keep it. We can't keep our righteousness. We can't keep our sanctification. We cannot keep our position. We're thankful for one that does. Then it tells us there in that verse of Scripture, unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. That's how we're made perfect. God grants us the faith in Christ Jesus, our atoning Savior, and we're justified in Him. And then it goes on to say there in verse 25, but after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. We don't need that. You know, many people do not trust the power of the Holy Spirit. They don't trust the power of the Holy Spirit in salvation. We've got to do something. We've got to help him out. We've got to make it more palatable. We've got to do this because he's not powerful enough to do what he said he would do. And that is point people to Christ. Bring them out of death unto life. The Holy Spirit is sovereign. The Holy Spirit is all-powerful. The Holy Spirit does and, and is pleased by the covenant of grace. And he is able to do as Christ and the Father is great far greater than we can think or think or do back up to the second chapter of the book of galatians for just a moment as we think about moses taken off the scene he will not take the children of israel into the land the law will not take us to glory it takes jesus christ it's interesting that the person that's going to take the place of moses his name means savior or deliverer same name as we find Jesus in the New Testament. Here in the book of Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16, we read this. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. You know, for a long, long time. How old was Saul of Tarsus before he was saved? It doesn't actually tell us. But for a long, long time, he believed that he was justified by the keeping of the law. He believed he was making God pleased with him. And it's exactly the opposite. God is not pleased with our attempts to keep the law. He is pleased with us trusting Christ as our only Savior. But by the faith of Jesus Christ, and whose faith is that? It's the faith of Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Turn with me. Back just a little bit into the book of Acts, and we continue this look at the law and its place. It, God used it. We found out we couldn't keep it. Really, we didn't find that out until we're born again, that we couldn't keep it. We thought we were doing a pretty good job about it. I had someone asked me one time, well, uh, how are you doing 
with the qualifications for a pastor over there in the book of Timothy and Titus. And I said, you know, not very well. But I have someone who has kept it for me, and I'm just going to sit in him. Now, that doesn't mean I'm giving up on it. That means I'm resting in someone who can take care of it. And that person had the audacity of telling, well, I've got them all down but one or two, and I'm working on them. That's like someone saying, how are you doing with the Ten Commandments? Well, I can tell you honestly, I have grave difficulty with them. Because they declare the holiness of God, and I am not holy as God is by nature. Now, by the new birth, I am caused to be holy as he is holy. I have respect for his word. I have respect for his uh, word of God. I have respect for his law. I can't keep it. I know someone who did, and I know who someone who did could give me the grace and impute it to me and say, in my stead, I covered you holy. And now, now that does not give us a license to go out and sin. The Apostle Paul dealt with that in the book of Romans right off because he knew what people were going to think. Are you telling me that if I'm saved by the grace that you're saved by, that I can go do anything I want? Well, that has revealed a whole lot about a person's heart. No, absolutely not. God's people don't want to do that. You know, we, we sin a whole lot more than we want to do. It's not something we have to plan for. Well, here in the book of Acts chapter 13, we read these words that give us some insight about the position as a type and a shadow and a picture that Moses had before the children of Israel. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 39, but by him, all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. You didn't have the ability. Dead in trespasses and sin, there's not one part of us that was not affected by the fall. We're dead in body, we're dead in spirit, we're dead in mind, and we need a resurrection. And we'll not attain that by ourselves. We'll not attain it by doing something for God. He doesn't help us. Grace is not grace if we have to help it. Well, as we find that the bondage of the law prescribes rules of life, but affords no help to obey it. No help. Uh, I used to love my mother when she said, now you're going to do this, but I want to help you. I did that with students in school. You have to do this, but I'll help you. And we have God Almighty saying, this is the requirement, but I'm the helper. I'll carry you as a shepherd does carry his lambs. You will accomplish it in me. Such is the rigor of the law which takes every debtor, everyone ever born into this world is a debtor to the law, and again, I use this illustration. Have you ever seen anybody, or has it happened to you, that you owed money and someone got a hold of you and says, you're going to pay the very last dollar. And if you don't, well, let's not go there. Those who do not have the very last farthing paid will be on the left-hand side. That's what the scriptures say. 
All right. As we go back to the book of Numbers, we find that this Moses, being a, actually, he's a man of grace. Typically, he's a picture of the law. But he, he doesn't, Lord, I'm not ready to die. Lord, give me a couple more years. Lord, I want to go to the doctor and get a new heart. Did you know we read over there, he says there was nothing wrong with him physically. His eyes were still good. He didn't have to wear glasses. He could walk 10 miles, 20 miles a day, not bother him. He was in good shape at 120 years of age, and he passed away. God took his life away from him. So here we find that Moses, as he hears the word, you're going to die. You know what his concern was? We need someone else to take my place. We need another leader. Turn with me back there to the book of Numbers, chapter 27. What a statement we read here. What a gracious statement. He didn't complain about what God was going to do with him. He simply says here in the book of Numbers, chapter 27, verse 15, he says, Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Now, you know, as was brought out this morning, in the gospel, there is no fear. There's reverence. But we are called on to come boldly before his throne of grace. We're called on to come. Oh, when the need arrives, come. Whatever it be, come. Come, present your petition. Come before me. Come before the throne of grace. Without fear, without reservation. In the night seasons. Oh, I had a terrible dream last night. And I said, Lord, can you just get rid of that so I can go back to sleep? In the night seasons, we can come boldly. And here, Moses spake to the Lord face to face, saying, let the Lord... Now, notice he didn't say, let me help you choose somebody. You know, I've, I've known some pastors made some grave mistakes trying to fill the pulpit when they're gone. I must tell you right now, when I'm gone, I have nobody in mind. It's not my job. It's the Holy Spirit's job. We found each other by the Holy Spirit. When I'm gone, you'll find someone else by the Holy Spirit. Here it says, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, which may come in before them, which may lead them out, which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. Those are precious words. Moses' concern for the children of Israel just before they cross over the Jordan River and go into the land that God had promised them for centuries. He just says here, Lord, please, can you do this? Have somebody take my place. Well, we're going to find out in many respects the person who filled the shoes of Moses did much better because he was able to lead them into the land. This is Joshua by name. We're going to find out there in just a moment. You know, as this is brought up, notice with me in the book of Matthew chapter 9. The book of Matthew chapter 9. The same subject is brought up here in Matthew chapter 9 as the Lord Jesus speaks to his disciples. And he tells us in Matthew chapter 9 that the fields are white unto harvest. Matthew chapter 9, there in verse 36, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says, And when he saw the multitudes, 
Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Now, this is the Lord. He's moved with compassion. I am so thankful that the God of glory, the sovereign king of all things, is moved for compassion upon his people. That he loves them with an everlasting love and he exercises that compassion. He will go out and find them. He will bring them in. It says he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. What was it that Moses just said? Please have somebody, Lord, so that they will have a shepherd and not act like a group of sheep without a shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. You know, I've had people preach messages from that verse and not pay any attention to the next verse. And before you know it, you got every person, every male in the church called to preach. I've told you about being called to preach in religion, haven't I? I went to my pastor and told him I was lost. And before I left, he called me to preach. Because that's the very last thing it could be because I'd done everything else that was possible. I'd asked Jesus into my heart. I'd been down on my knees. I'd cried. I'd done everything that was possible. And he said, there's one thing left. It must be that you're called to preach. You know, I've shared this too. I saw him many years later at a funeral and asked him, how could you do that? And he couldn't answer me. I'm glad I asked him. Well, let's look at verse 38. Because this is what essentially Moses was saying. If you're taking me off the scene... And that's only right and good, Lord. You have every right to do that. I am your subject. You are my king. When you say my time is over, my time is over. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that we'll stand before God. And those with Christ will say yea and amen, and those without Christ will say, oh me. Woe is me. Well, let me talk to you about my good works, Lord. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. All right, verse 38. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. Now, in September, we had Brother Lance Heller here. You know, Brother Lance and I are just real close. We can visit about things that I can't visit with very many other pastors, missionaries. And he says there's a phenomena going on in America about young preachers, people that are surrendering to preach, sit in a church and they're waiting for some old preacher to die so they can go in and take over that church because it will have a good income. They're not hearing about a group of people meeting over here in Timbuktu and say, you know, I, I really would like to come over and speak for you. Could we set up a time or anything like that? Because there's nothing in it. Here the Lord says, as Moses requested, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest. You know, when that man called me to preach, I had a local call. You know what that used to mean. The old dial telephones, this is a local call, it's going to cost a dime. Or there was the long distance call and that was going to cost more. When Nancy and I were going together, before we got married, she lived 340 miles away from me, and our only contact most of the time was a telephone. And my parents didn't have a telephone. So 
my pastor would get a call from Nancy. He'd come down to my house, says, Nancy's on the phone. Would you come up to the house and call her? So I'd go up there at the end of the month. He'd say, here's the long distance bill. Now, I don't know. It wasn't very much, and I'd have paid 10 times that much <laughs> to talk to her. But it was a long distance call. You know, that's the only effectual call is a long distance call. God, what it says here, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest. I remember hearing about a, a young preacher down in, in uh, Oklahoma, and he he'd surrendered to the ministry and was going to Africa as a missionary. And his pastor came says, meet me here next Saturday and we're, we're going to go out. And that young man came the next Saturday, pastor met him at the church, and they went into a part of Oklahoma City at that time that Afro-Americans lived in. He says, what are we doing here? He says, what do you think you're going to find in Africa? You know what? He lost all interest. It was just a romantic idea to go to a foreign country, Africa, and be a missionary there, and hopefully people would support him. You know, nobody calls me anymore like they used to do and say, I'm going to be a missionary. The landmarkers were good at this. That's where I was, and they knew my name. They'd call me up and say, I'd like to come by and speak for you and tell you about the work over and so on and so forth. And uh, I said, how much money do you need to be able to go over there? And they said, oh, I need $5,000. Oh, boy, you know, we're booked. <laughs> now, Brother Lance went to... New Guinea without any guarantee because that's where the Lord wanted him. That's the way it should be. All right. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into the harvest and when there's a need they will be called. There's not one extra church in the world and not one too few. We say I wish there was a church down in Vancouver. I wish there was a church in Portland. I wish there was a, I wish there was a a church in Golden Age. I wish there were churches all over. But they're not there. Why? If there was enough sheep there, there would be one there. That's the way God does his business. All right. Talk, go back with me, if you would, to the book of... of uh, oh, no. Go to, with me to the book of Matthew again, chapter 4. It lets us know there in that verse of scripture, that he is in the charge of calling. And he's going to call someone to take care of Israel. We know him already. It's Joshua. We know him already. But here, turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, the word of God says this. And he said unto him, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Did you notice the next verse? And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Now, this is not a suggestive call. <laughs> this is not a call that God suggested something to them. It is a command. And God doesn't speak in anything less than commands. It is a command that he goes out. You know, by the very voice that he said unto them, follow me, is the voice that he created the heavens and the earth. The same voice that he called unto them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, is the same voice that he created the heavens and the earth and all things that are therein. 
This is an all-powerful voice. And when he calls, these people responded, those that knew him. It says, and they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in a ship with Zebedee their father mending their nets and called them and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. This is a command. That's what God does. It's a command. He also commands us to salvation. It's a command. And he alone is able to usher us into that command. Mark, back up, uh, move ahead just a little bit to the book of Mark, chapter 2. Mark, chapter 2. And we read there in chapter 2 of the book of Mark in verse 14, along the same lines as Moses said, someone needs to take care of these people. I have no problem with you taking my life. I have no problem with going over there and just looking in. I don't have a problem with that. But I please, Lord, would you fill the spot. And here in the book of, of uh, Mark, chapter 2 and verse 40. 14, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom and said unto him, now he's a tax collector, sitting at receipt of custom, and his livelihood is based upon how much extra he can collect. And this seems to be Matthew. Follow me. And he arose and followed him. What God is able to do. He is able to do what he commands, and he commanded. All right, would you travel back with me in a short time that we have left to the book of Numbers, and let's look at the qualifications and the job, job description that Moses is led to share with us there in the book of Numbers chapter 27. Whoever is going to fill this spot, Numbers chapter 27 and verse 17 Numbers chapter 27 and verse 17, it says, Here is what Moses saw was necessary. Now, he has been led by the Holy Spirit to bring this up. He's been led by the Holy Spirit to bring this idea up, these thoughts up. It says here, this person, verse 16, Let the Lord, the God of all spirits, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, which may go in before them, which may lead them out, and which may bring them in. And how is he going to do that? Lord, you're going to have to give him a position in the minds and hearts of these people that they will follow him. He's going to have to be a man of God. He's going to have to be someone who can carry out what he said he will do. And these people will submit to him and follow him and go out and come in with him. And he goes on to tell us there, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. You know, over there in the book of Acts, chapter 6, it talks about... we. we so often in commentators, it's the choosing of the deacons. Have you ever read the qualifications for those guys? Well, let's just do that right now. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. As we find what Moses said would be great qualifications. The Holy Spirit gave him those qualifications. Here in Acts chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, it says, There was a problem. There was a problem. It says here, In those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring. 
there was quite a number of people that assembled together to hear the gospel. And these 12 apostles, 12 disciples that were preachers of the gospel, they noticed that there was a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in daily food and sustenance. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God to serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men. Now notice the qualifications. It's kind of those that Moses gave over there in the book of Numbers chapter 27. Somebody to lead the people. It says here, seven men, honest report. Seven men of honest report. That they, this honest report, to be a witness. You know what? They need to be somebody that knows the gospel. They need to be a witness of Christ. You know, I've been in churches where deacons were ordained because they were business savvy. <laughs> they had more business savvy than anything else. And that's not the qualification. The qualification is that they would be honest with the word of God, that they would be honest in de declaring Christ. And in doing that, they will be honest in their work, that they are men of honest report. I can just hear Moses saying, oh, may he be a man of honest report. Someone to lead the people. I, Lord, I don't, it doesn't bother me at all that you're going to take my life. But we need someone of an honest report to lead the children of Israel. And it goes on to tell us in that passage of Scripture that look out seven men of honest report full of the Holy Ghost. and wisdom that we may appoint over this business. You know, as I think about being full of wisdom, I have to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, and it tells us there that Christ is our wisdom. These people need to know Christ. They need to be born again. They need to have an honest report. They need to have an honest report about the gospel. They need to know the gospel. And... Uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Turn there with me, if you would. Acts chapter 20, verse 27, excuse me. In verse 27, it shares this. It says, Honest report, full of the Holy Ghost. The apostle Paul says, For I have shunned, not shunned, to declare unto you all the counsel of God. We need men of honest report, full of the Holy Spirit, that will not back up on anything that God gives us. They will teach Ephesians chapter 1. They will teach Romans 9, 10, and 11. They will teach the things that we read in the gospel. They will teach the gospel of God's free and sovereign grace. This must be. Well, turn with me back the book of Numbers chapter 27 and read with me verse 18. Numbers chapter 27 and verse 18. Then the Lord said unto Moses. Numbers chapter 27 verse 18. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit. 
and lay thy hand upon him, and set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and give him a charge in their sight. And thou shalt put some of thy honor upon him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall take counsel from him after the judgment of Urim before the Lord. At his word shall we go out, and at his word shall we come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation, and laid his hands upon him and gave him a charge as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. Now those verses that we just read there from 18 through the end of the chapter, Lord willing, will be the message that we have when we come back from our trip. These words about Joshua. This is not the first time that we have Joshua mentioned in Scripture. We have him several times before this and doing honorable things. He's an honorable man. He's an honest man. He's full of the Spirit. That's just what we find that the Lord shared. He is full of the Spirit. I've dealt with him. I have been his Savior. That's the thing that we read with Joshua and Caleb. They had a different spirit than the other ten. That's why they came back with the report that they did. God is able. God is able. God is able. The ten came back and said, no, he's not. No, he's not. No, he's not. Well, we find in Scripture, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. God bless you. Brother Mike.